Hey guys, Paul Reddick here. Welcome to the Baseball Dads Podcast. The world of baseball and the youth and especially the high school game is changing so rapidly. These rapid changes are bringing about a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration for today's parents that are trying to bring their son up in the game. So the purpose of this podcast is to use the experience of dads who have already gone through this journey and have navigated it successfully so we could take aim at that confusion and frustration and knock it out. We're going to talk to these dads about what they did right, about what they did wrong, what they would do more of, what they would do less of, and they're going to give you their advice for today's parents that are going through this game. So stay tuned for today's podcast. And make sure you go to BaseballDadsNewsletter.com where you can get a free trial in our monthly Baseball Dads Newsletter. So without any further delay, let's get on to today's show. Hey folks, Paul Ruddick here. Welcome back to the Baseball Dads Podcast. If you are anything like me, you watch the Little League World Series every year when it's televised on ESPN. And if you're anything like me, you probably cringe watching the number of curveballs that are being thrown in these games. And they're being thrown by children who are clearly not mature enough to throw the pitch, clearly don't have the strength to throw the pitch, and clearly don't have the mechanics to throw the pitch. And and even as as you watch the broadcast, and this year as you watch the broadcast, turn your attention to the, the, the tone of voice of the players who are calling the game. There's always some uh, you know professional player, major leaguer, uh, a former major leaguer calling the game, and you'll hear them when they say like curveball, or you can hear it in their voice that they know that this is wrong. But you know, I understand their job is there to call the game, and they're put in a very difficult position. But you know, it, I'm not sure that there is any other event like the Little League World Series. If there is in basketball or football, I don't know about it, but I don't think there's any other event where the top 11 and 12-year-old players in the country, in the world, get together in a nationally televised event. So it is the premier youth sporting event in the world. And what we watch each and every year is we watch players, children, pay a higher price per pitch. I'm going to come to back to that in a minute. So what we do know about the Little League World Series is that in the 50 or 60 years that it's been going on, there's only been about 20 or so players that made, made it to the major leagues from the Little League World Series. So why is it that we see the literally the best 11 and 12-year-olds from all over the world, baseball has been an international game for decades, we see the best players showcase on national television, we don't see those players 10 years later in the major leagues. We don't. We, 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 we barely, statistics show that most of them don't even play in college. How is that possible? I guarantee you, if you took the best 12-year-old basketball players in the world, I guarantee you that six years later, 10 years later, you're seeing them in college or possibly the NBA. You're seeing them go pretty far. Why is that not happening in baseball? Obviously, it's a different game, right? It's a different skill set. Um, it's, it's just an overall different game, right? If you're a 6'10", uh, you know, 12-year-old uh, in basketball, you're, you're going to be 6'10", or greater, you know, 18-year-old. That carries over baseball. Those skills don't necessarily carry over. So why do we see that? Why do we see players that are paying a higher price per pitch? Let me explain what I mean by that. So I, I often look at these pitchers as they're throwing pitches, and I look at it as like almost every single pitch that they're throwing at that level to win a tournament is put on a credit card. And we've all had the experience, right? Every, every American has probably had the experience of putting something on a credit card, and when you put that something on a credit card, you knew two things, right? You, you knew you couldn't afford it, 
or you you kind of convinced yourself in the moment that you were going to adhere to a strict payment plan on that that you were not going to get stuck with the interest of that purchase but we've all had the experience right where you buy a $500 iPhone and that $500 iPhone winds up costing you $1200 over the course of that credit card because you put it on a credit card with interest rate when the bill came you paid the minimum you didn't pay off the maximum we've all had that experience of accumulating consumer debt well this is what we're doing with our youth pitchers we're putting their pitches now on a credit card and the pain of that debt when we purchased the iPhone five years ago the pain of that debt doesn't show up until when much later in fact it almost looks good that we can get a $500 item and we get a bill in the mail and we only have to pay $30 for it. That's the psychology behind it, right? That's how they kind of get us involved in these credit cards. Is it looks like we're getting something and we don't have to pay for it. And that's what it looks like when we're having children throw incredible amounts of breaking balls. What we're doing is we're, we're, they are paying for those pitches on a credit card and it looks really good in the short term because they, they throw a bunch of curveballs, they win a tournament, they succeed, they do well, and the bill hasn't come yet. The interest hasn't accrued. It has not come to a point where the, where the payments and the interest has, has accumulated so much. You've put so much on that credit card that now the payment is overwhelming to you and all of a sudden, you can't afford the things that you were getting at a discount, or you thought it appeared that you were getting at a discount. So when does it come out in the wash? No, no 12-year-old kid gets carried off the field, right? We see it all the time in baseball. You know, many times per year, a guy will throw a pitch and something will go wrong. Trainer will come out, they'll pull the guy off the mound, and then you'll you'll read tomorrow he's got to have surgery, or he's going for an MRI, or he's got ten, or he's got this, he's got that. We don't see that happening in the Little League World Series. No kid in the Little League World Series left the game because he couldn't throw anymore, or he felt something go in his arm or his shoulder. Nobody, nobody has felt that. That has not happened. Because it, it doesn't happen there. The interest doesn't accrue there. The interest accrues when they're 16, 17, or 18. That's when all the things you put on that credit card of your child's arm, the interest starts to accrue. And now you've got a big payment that may be too big for your budget. We have a very interesting position now because the college and the professional coaches are looking down at the travel ball coaches and the little league and high school coaches and say, hey, you guys are throwing these kids too much. You're throwing too many crazy pitches with them and you're, and you're abusing them. By the time they get to us, they're burnt out used and we're, we're getting them with this huge credit card debt, this huge debt on their arm. And the travel ball coaches and the high school coaches are like, hey, hey, pal, don't look at me. They were fine when they were with me. Because again, when you swipe the card and you leave the store, it's it doesn't add up. That's not when it comes, right? That's not when you really have to make the payment. It's when you realize you just signed up for 400 payments at $30 a month to pay off that $500 thing that had you just been a little bit more prudent way back when and maybe saved for a few months, you could have got the same thing at a significant discount. Our kids are paying a higher price per pitch. So 
it puts us in a tough spot too because every year we get bombarded with emails during this time of the year by parents of 10, 11 year old kids who are looking at these all stars and travel ball kids that are throwing curveballs and are like, wait a minute, you know, does my kid need to throw a curveball? Does my kid need to, to have to learn the curveball in order to keep up, in order to stay, you know, at the same level as other kids? Is my kid going to fall behind? That is a legitimate concern. Now, I'm going to give you what my formula is for throwing a curveball. And I'm going to say this before I get into it. I don't have a problem with the curveball pitch itself. I've had 12-year-old kids that I had absolutely no problem with them, with teaching them a curveball, them throwing a curveball, and I had complete confidence in it. And I've had 18-year-old kids that I wouldn't even think of putting a curveball in their repertoire. Because it comes down to a, four thi a couple things. Now... We also have a lot of cliches and a lot of conventional wisdom and kind of like, um, you know, things we say about a curveball, like you shouldn't throw it until you're 16. You shouldn't throw it until you're shaving. You shouldn't throw it until you start thinking about girls. You shouldn't throw it until girls start thinking about you. You should, you know, all these kind of things that, that are there to kind of get in the way of thinking about a curveball. But what that is, is basically saying that all people are the same, that at 16, there's some miraculous age that all of a sudden now you're you're perfect to throw a curveball. Well, I've met 18-year-old kids that look like 12-year-olds, and I've met 12-year-olds that look like 18-year-olds. Everybody is different. Every single person matures at a different rate and grows at a different rate. And different people put in different work. But there are 12-year-olds who are more prepared than 18-year-olds. So let me take you through what I think are my four steps that have to be in place for you before your son can start throwing a curveball. Um, number one is maturity. Now, here's the thing. If you look back on our podcast about selecting a pitching coach, you will know that a pitching coach needs a network, a network of health, medical professionals, nutritionists, and all that to get to, to focus in on uh, the things that you are not qualified to um to diagnose or, or look at or so I know that I am not qualified to determine whether or not a kid is mature that is the job of a medical professional and anytime if your pitching coach is saying oh he shouldn't do it till he's then or he shouldn't do it till now or he shouldn't do it no 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 your pitching coach is playing your doctor so this is why a network is so important because if you don't have the network of doctors and medical professionals that understand what you're trying to do as a pitching coach, they're going to go to their pediatrician and their pediatrician is just going to give them a general diagnosis, not a diagnosis based on what he knows you're trying to do with the kid. That's why when I want a kid evaluated to see if he's, if he's got the maturity and his, everything is, 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 um, is grown to the point where I feel comfortable teaching him that pitch, I want to send them to a doctor that understands what I'm trying to do understands pitching as much as they need to understand it from our, our from my standpoint that can give me an honest opinion that is the job of a doctor that's why every pitching coach is watching this and if you're going to hire a pitching coach you got to ask them do they have a network do they have a network of people that are tied in not just not just the name of a guy that they send people to i'm talking about relationships and pitching coaches you can have these relationships trust me it's a good it's a great two-way street so number one's maturity and, and that's the job of a medical professional to diagnose that uh, number two is strength um, so for me the player has to be strong enough because it's going to lead into the next the, the 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 second m so it's m i'm sorry I, I back up m plus s plus m maturity plus strength so maturity plus strength is the first part so they got to be strong enough uh, for, for me to be able to hold that pitch, to hold the angle of that pitch, 
And it leads into the second thing, which is mechanics. That's the, the second M. So maturity, M, plus strength, S, plus M, mechanics. So mechanics and strength go hand in hand. So I can talk to you until you're blue in the face about mechanics. You can understand mechanics. You could even teach mechanics. Um, doesn't mean you can do mechanics. And so a lot of times pitching coaches kind of run up against the problem where they run out of information, right? They've taught the kid everything that they need to know. And, they, and if they've taught everything the kid needs to know and the kid cannot uh, produce repeatable mechanics, then your job as a pitching coach is kind of over because the, the problem of your pitcher is not an information problem. The problem of your pitcher is a strength problem. So, um, so I work hand in hand, like a pitcher seven network with strength coaches, physical therapists that give our kids the proper base of functional strength in order to repeat their mechanics over and over again, a hundred times a day, every fifth day for six to nine months. That you're not going to get that from a pitching coach. You're not going to get the strength and endurance to repeat a delivery over and over again, 100 times a game, every fifth day for six to nine months. You're not going to get that from a pitching coach. You're not going to get that from pitching lessons. You're going to get that. You can get that in conjunction of your pitching coach working with a strength coach or a physical therapist, or if your strength coach has the education, I'm sorry, if your pitching coach has an education to provide you with strength conditioning, um, a program and a protocol for that. Certainly they can. So uh, leading into the second, uh, for the, the S is strength and mechanics, right? So they've got to have efficient mechanics. If you don't have efficient mechanics, you shouldn't be throwing the pitch, right? If you have poor mechanics and you add a curveball to poor mechanics, you are just increasing the rate with which you are going to be injured. So if you have bad credit and you go on a spending spree with your credit card, your credit is going to get worse, right? But if you have good credit, and you have good budgeting, well, you can maybe do a little bit of a spending if it's managed properly, right? So mechanics and strength go hand in hand. They've got to have, you can't have one without the other. And more times than not, the mechanical fixes that I want to see in pitchers are really strength issues, and i got to work either with the strength and conditioning knowledge that I have or send them out to a, a specific professional that's going to help them. So the last M is moderation. So let me review. We've got um, maturity. M plus S strength plus mechanics M plus moderation, the last M. So the reason why kids 11 and 12 year old are succeeding with the curveball is because hitters haven't experienced it. A hitter can only react to and hit what he's experienced. If a hitter hasn't seen a curveball, he's not going to be able to react and hit a curveball. It's as simple as that, right? Because we see these pitches. They're not even good curveballs, right? We see these little league curveballs, these kids throwing curveballs in little league 11 and 12. These aren't great curveballs. They're not Clayton Kershaw, Burt Blylevin curveballs. These are kind of crappy curveballs that these kids are throwing. But because 11, 12 year old kids don't see a lot of curveballs, they, they're not, they're not, they don't have the experience to hit it. So that's why kids kind of go to the curveball. That's why people buy things on credit cards because they could get something that they can't afford. So an 11 or 12 year old kid can get a hitter out that he can't get out with his other pitches with a curveball because the hitter has not seen it. So in, so that's temp, that's tempting, right? It's tempting to do that. But let me, I, I, so the, the moderation of the pitch to me is, is, Really, when your pitching coach your 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 and your game coach, hopefully they're on the same team, are working together to set up a system for it. So what I would say is that as at lower levels, that assuming that there's maturity, strength, and mechanics, that moderation should be you're throwing a curveball when you need to throw a curveball, and not just throwing a curveball because you can throw a curveball, 
right? So throwing a curveball uh, when it's needed, and I would say if you're going to throw whatever the limits are, 70 pitches per game, six, seven, maybe. Depends. Again, it's hard to give. It, it's actually not good for me to even say that, but I'm, I'm going really conservative on the estimates here. Um, I, I just I just think you should throw it when you need it. Because here's the other thing. It, there are much better pitches to throw. So let me let me let me give you this example. Let's say you're a travel ball team, and you are playing. You've got you know Saturday doubleheader, Sunday doubleheader in a tournament, and every team's playing doubleheaders. And you're in the Sunday night championship game, and you're facing a team that has just played three games. They played two on Saturday, one on Sunday, and now you're in the afternoon doubleheader for the championship. So those hitters have played three games. If I interviewed those hitters and I asked them, what are the top two pitches you've seen over the last uh, three games? They're going to tell me fastball, curveball, right? That probably goes all the way up to high school and even college levels. They'll say fastball, curveball. So if you're pitching the fourth game, why do you want to show up with fastball, curveball, the same two pitches they've seen for the last three games and probably the last 50 games that they've played? Why do you want to show up with the same thing that the other three pitchers or four or five pitchers that they've seen have showed up with? Why don't you want to show up with something different? That's why I encourage pitchers, which, which is a very effective and a safe option, is throw a change or throw a sinker. Because you're getting a pitch, you're getting everybody's throwing a fastball pitch that goes straight. You're throwing a curveball pitch that breaks. Why don't you get a pitch that has run and has sink on it that moves to your arm side? So pitchers are seeing, hitters are seeing this. And if you're if you're listening on iTunes, you can go on YouTube and see what I'm I'm demonstrating here. Pitchers, are, hitters are seeing this and they're seeing this. They're seeing they're seeing fastball and they're seeing break. Why wouldn't you want to come in with run and sink? And give them a different look. Remember, a hitter can only hit with the experiences. So why would you want to show up with the exact thing that they've been experiencing for the last three games? A sinker or a changeup are much better options, much safer options, and much more effective options. I guarantee if you show up with a sinker on that fourth, on that fourth game of a tournament and they've been looking at fastball, curveball, you will be the most effective pitcher of that tournament. And here's why. How many, how many situations can you throw a curveball in? I don't think a lot of a lot of guys have the have the the confidence to throw it 0 right? When do we throw curveballs? 0-2, 1-2, two. You can throw a sinker in any count. You can throw a sinker as an 0-0 pitch right over the plate with some arm side movement. You could throw it 3-1 when everybody and my grandmother knows you're going to throw a, a fastball. You could throw a sinker. You throw something over the plate with some movement. You could throw it as an 0-2 out pitch. When uh, when uh, Roy Halladay threw a no-hitter or perfect game, he, he threw two perfect games, I think, in the same year, he was 42% sinkers. 42% sinkers. I don't know if you guys remember Kevin Brown dominating for years with a sinker. There was, a kid, there was a kid that came up with the Yankees, Ching Ming Wong, and he got hurt in a freak accident. He slipped on home plate and, and hurt his ankle or his knee, I think. But he was dominating baseball with a sinker. And uh, it is the most effective pitch. It is a safe pitch. Sinker or a change is much better than the curveball. So those are my thoughts. So to wrap up, the four things I think you need are, are maturity, strength, mechanics, and moderation. And uh, to really have a good grasp on, on, on your curveball. Um, 
We didn't even get into the actual throwing of a curveball, but just as a little side note, anybody that tells you to snap a curveball, break off a curveball, shoot the gun, uh, think 99% fastball, 1% curveball, or or uh, any of that kind of stuff, just go run. That's horrible, horrible curveball advice. That's just going to shred your elbow. So again, mechanic, uh, moder- uh, excuse me, maturity, strength, mechanics, moderation. Don't put your kids' pitches on a credit card. It looks good in the moment, but that balance is going to come due. I promise you. I promise you. I promise you. All right, guys. Have a great week. I'll see you next week. Thanks. Hey, guys. It's Paul again. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. We really hope you got a lot out of it. We have so much more to come for you. And thank you so much for trusting us with your baseball education and also the development with your child. It's something that we take very seriously and really means the world to me and the rest of the staff here at Paul Rudd Baseball and Baseball Dads Podcast. So thank you so much. We would love it if you would leave a five-star rating and a great review of this podcast. That's how it helps us get the word out about the podcast so that other dads can share in this information that we need so much. Also, don't forget to go to Baseball Dads Newsletter where you can get a free trial subscription in our Baseball Dads Newsletter. Again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I can't tell you what it means to us that you would tune in, and we're just loving bringing this information to you. So, again, thank you so much, and we'll see you on the next show. Hey, it's Paul Reddick. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. I wanted to let you know I have a new book out specifically for Baseball Dads, and I would love for you to check it out. You can go to BaseballDadsBook.com. All the information is there and a pretty good discount for our podcast listeners. So again, it's baseballdadsbook.com. Thanks.